You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Many of my North American listeners will likely be familiar with an advertising campaign that Dos Equis Beer ran for about a decade, featuring the most interesting man in the world. Remember those ads? Well, apparently Dos Equis didn't know about Joseph Carabas. My guest today has a fascinating, diverse, multidimensional career, might I say personality. In addition to being a musician, extraordinary pizza maker, and kite enthusiast, Joseph has also been an adjunct professor, a chief data scientist, a neuromarketer, do I have that one right? An, <laughs> an entrepreneur, a senior research fellow, a board member on a variety of well, boards, and best of all, he is a prolific author. He has written numerous titles, including That Think You Do, 60 Ways to Be Healthy, Happy, and Hold Off Harm, and his latest is called The Inheritors. He isn't simply pro prolific either. He writes across multiple genres, as indicated by those titles. One is a self-improvement slash wisdom book, I would call it, while the other might be categorized as sci-fi, fantasy, and philosophy, all rolled up in one. He joins me now from New Hampshire. Welcome, the most interesting man in the world, Joseph Carabas. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> how, how much do you write each day? What, what's your writing schedule like? I get up in the morning, take our, our dog for his morning walk which actually gives me a chance to wake up, uh, pour myself a cup of coffee, sit at the keyboard and have at it. Wow. Uh, I, I will very often be writing all, all day. So it sounds like it. So you've got an, a natural alarm clock there. Yes. Yes. The mighty boo, <laughs> you know, well, 65 pound lap dog. Yeah. It's fun. Nice. So at the end of a day of writing, what I know that this can vary wildly because you might be stuck with one moment or you might be just really, you know, churning it out uh, the next. But what would you say you average like is that 10 pages a day or something? Some days it could only be a page. Some days it will be even less than a page because I'll look at it and I go, no, that's not right. No, that's not the right word. No, what, I'm, I, I'm not. And I will literally be doing as I'm doing with you. That is not what that character is saying. Listen, listen, what is that character really saying? Yeah. Okay, wait a second. Did you describe that character? Did you describe that scene? Where are they? You didn't make sure you knew where they were. So I will, many times I'll get about a page. Mm -hmm. Other days I can churn out 15 to 20 pages. Probably one of which may be good, but you know. <laughs> How much time do you spend rewriting and editing and i know you're rewriting as you go along but i'm saying like you cut you put it away yeah you come back to it well I, I from talking with other authors and writers i gather that i'm kind of unique because i will put a project away for two to three to four to five years before i pick it up again oh. at which point it is a completely new book and i'm reading a book by somebody else I mean, in yeah. very many ways, because my writing has changed, my style has changed. 
but that gives me a very clear perspective because as you said, I'll be rewriting as I'm writing, but now it's time for me to edit. That can involve, that can involve some rewriting that can involve, oh, geez, I, I forgot the, you know, the, the thing about if you have somebody using a gun on page five, you can introduce that gun on page two. I'll have something happen on, you know, chapter 15. Oh, yeah, I better have somebody do something about that in chapter seven, you know. Uh, and then after that, it goes out to first readers. Um, and they get back to me in the book that's coming out um, the end of this month, The Shaman, um, just past week, just last week, a first reader got, I'm not really sure how this chapter here what, what it's actually doing. I, I love what's in it, but I don't know how it got here. Yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, I got to go back 10 chapters and add a pointer to that chapter so yeah. that the reader will go, okay, yeah, yeah. Like a foreshadowing moment earlier on. Exactly. So that, yeah. It's exactly. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, your, your, your friends describe you as intriguing, multidimensional, and, refi- and refined. These are quotes. Yeah. So h- how do you personally perceive those labels and whether you disregard them or cherish them, what aspects of your life and personality do you think contribute to those descriptions? Why do people call you that? Uh, could be because I did a lot of drugs in the sixties. Um, <laughs> that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily cherish those labels. I cherish the people who said them, who wrote them for me. Yeah. Because I, I always have difficulty when people say, tell me about yourself. Oh, what do you want to know? I'm very good at answering questions. I'm horrible, despite what you may think right now. I'm not that good at just kind of rambling. <laughs> so, um, you know, intriguing. Yeah, sure. Okay. Depends what you think of as, as being intriguing. Um, cute and cuddly. Nobody said that. I wish they would, <laughs> you know. Well, I wish people I, would, that I, I could deal with. Yeah, yeah I wish cute more, and cuddly. <laughs> I wish more people would compare me to George Clooney and Brad Pitt, but we can't get we can't always get the labels yeah. we like. Yeah. <laughs> well, in addition to your your writing, you you have a wide range of interests. I mentioned uh, flying kites in the intro, but also cooking and befriending yes. befriending wildlife. Yes. So yes, why? How did you develop such a diverse set of passions? And even better. How do they, whether individually or collectively, enrich your life? I, th- I think there's something Zen here is, is why I'm asking that. Uh, well, my cooking, I love to cook for friends. If I have to cook for myself, it's what can I put between two slices of bread? Right. As Susan will often say, when Joseph cooks, he's cooking for the fleet. Because <laughs> I never learned how to cook for one person or two right. people if i make pasta sauce she's putting buckets in the freezer if i make chili she's you know calling friends up joseph made chili bring over your entire family cooking is one of my passions as well and it's interesting my wife also likes cooking but she's more of the baker she likes to make fresh bread and it is the best bread you've ever oh, had when it's yeah yes yes and then, and then i like to make she's japanese so she grew up Kind of, even though Japanese is <clears throat> at the elite of cuisine, uh, she grew up kind of only eating Japanese food. So, like last night, I made a Spanish paella, and you know, she was just 
blown away. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so, and we're the point of me asking this question was the, the Zen when I'm cooking. And again, I'm like you, if it's just me, I'm just looking for a piece of bologna. I don't actually eat bologna, but you know, I'm just looking for like a, <laughs> just something cheap and fast and just yep. shove it in my mouth. But if I'm cooking for my wife, then it's like, Oh, I want to make this, you know, I'm in the kitchen an hour prepping stuff. Yes. Yes. And so, but I, I, there's a, it's, a, it is almost Zen, not to try to force Zen into this conversation, but no. when I'm cooking, like all the other worries that I have in life kind of go away. I'm just in the kitchen mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm cutting peppers or whatever. And it, you know, it's like a meditation for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's actually a very important point. And there was something I learned originally from my grandfather. Uh, whenever you do something, take your time and do it with intention. Yes. And you turn it into a meditation. You do it with intention. Yeah. It becomes prayer, yeah. for lack of a better term. And it becomes a way for you to project yourself into the universe. Mm. So the same thing with cooking. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, uh, I want to fit in here. Let's talk about your writing. Um, you've been called a master storyteller. How did you develop your storytelling skills? What do you enjoy most about crafting your stories and sharing them? Because it's, it's hard work sometimes. I, I know I, I do it too. I'm not at your level, but you know what, uh, how did you develop those storytelling skills throughout the span of your life? Well, I don't think I really became a storyteller. Let me rephrase that. I did not craft my stories until about 2016. So there was a good chunk of my life up into my mid fifties, my mid sixties, I'm sorry, um, where I would just write these things. And some of them were genuinely good and it was by accident. Some of them, most of them were really sucked. And that was because I didn't really understand writing. I love to write. I love to share. I love to let people know all of these things that I've experienced and all the things that I couldn't imagine. But I did not do it well because I didn't know the, the you know, elements of good story crafting. I did not know how to develop characters. I did not know how to put together a setting. I did not know anything about scene placement. I did not know anything about tone, about voice. Mm. I had all that stuff in me, but it was like the, the musician, the garage musician who occasionally does something really good. Yeah. Most of the time they suck. <laughs> um, and then in 2016, uh, I put out my first book, Tales Told Around Celestial Campfires, which was a collection of stories I'd had published back in the days of print. And I put it out and I was saying, let me just find out if anybody likes my writing before I go nuts and begin writing novels. Mm -hmm. Turned out quite a few people did. Okay, good. But then I, I realized, I, I said to myself, I do not know what good writing is. So I literally mm -hmm. set myself a course of independent study. And uh, one of the things about me that has been true, no matter what I do, if something interests me, get out of my way, I'm going to learn about it. So I would spend 
10, 12, 14 hours a day, the time I spend now writing, mm -hmm. I would put into talking with known authors, researching technique. I would read, a, you know, for example, I would read a paragraph and I would go with intention now. I'm going, okay, when I read that, I had this reaction to it. What was there in that paragraph that gave me this reaction? Yeah. Oh, look what how, look how they did that. Look at that. And then I would practice that to see yeah. if I could do it. And the end result is uh, everything that I studied prior to crafting stories, all the neuroscience, all the mathematics, all the physics, you know, all the everything. I suddenly had all that stuff at my disposal, but now I was better at putting it together and sharing it. Yeah. So that's that's how it came about. A lot of work. To be very honest with you, it was sure. a lot of work. I, I I get it on this level of uh I, I sort of had a, a, an epiphany, a, a epiphanal uh, moment. Well, when I was reading uh well I, I after college I started reading Hemingway just on my own. And then when but it was when I read I'm I don't know if you're familiar with W. Somerset Mom, but uh he he was a oh, yeah. he, he, yeah. And uh, I started reading W. Somerset Mom, And the epiphany that I had was to write in a precise way. Like the, it, you can almost look through a Hemingway or a W. Somerset Mom book and you almost feel like you can't take one sentence out of this. You know, like every yes. sentence is necessary for the completion of this whole story. And there's not a lot of fluff. And yeah. I mean, it can still be a big book, but it's it's written with precise words. It's not a, it's it's not to just be verbose for the sake of being verbose. That's the only word. That's the right word in this particular. Instance yes. Use. Okay. Yes. I get it. And that is that is true craft. Uh, you know, a lot of study, a lot of my time. I, I talk about mom. I pulled apart uh, the razor's edge. It's my favorite oh my book. God, did I analyze that one? The favorite book right yes. there. Yes. Have you ever seen the Bill Murray movie? Yes. And I think it's, a, it, it's the, that was the second time they tried the movie. And uh, I think the Bill Murray one is terrific. It, it didn't yes. get great reviews, but I, I thought it was. Yes. Good. I thought Bill Murray got it. He got People Larry. kept on wanting Bill Murray to be a comic. Yes. Right. But I think he understood yes. the essence of Larry. People Darryl. wanted Bill Murray to be a cop. Yeah. But he exactly he was exactly. he was Larry Darrell. That was, that was tremendous. <laughs> I'm glad we we, we yes. have a lot in common. Yes. Let's talk about the yes. books you've yes. you've written. Tell us first about that think you do. I've actually read that one a couple months ago, and you know it's an insightful book of wisdom is what I call it in the intro. Uh, I don't think self help does it justice. Tell us a little bit about what that's about. So from 2008 to 2016. Uh, every week would write these blog posts and um, got involved with a new publisher. They're going through my portfolio. And the editor said, these are these, this could be a book. And I went, knock yourself out. So she literally took um, about 60, 70 or so of my blog posts, a little massaging mm. and turned them into these chapters. So it's really a book about, you know, there's this interesting thing in neuroscience. This is a fascinating thing the brain does. And this is what this action in the brain causes you to do in your daily life. Are you happy with this? Most people aren't. Well, guess what? 
we can actually give you exercises to change this. Not, not busting up your, you know, going nuts exercises. Right. 30 seconds a day, 30 seconds a day to literally, because of neuroplasticity, rewire your brain. Yep. But it takes intent. Yeah. You got to do it. You got to want it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, as you know, you read the book. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Plus, plus anecdotes, which explain different things. You yeah, know. that's I, that's what I really liked about it. Tell us, we've got a little bit of time left about the inheritors, because that's more recent. Give us a cursory glance at just uh, without spoilers. Uh, would you call it a sci-fi or a philosophy book? Obviously, it's sci-fi fantasy type book, but but there's philosophy in there. Yeah, right? what it deals with the the story is in the far future, there's a crisis and these far future people. No, they can't solve it. So they begin going back through time, finding brilliant genius children to bring forward to help them solve it. One of these brilliant genius children is a fellow by the name of Tommy Ayers. Tommy Ayers is brought forward. The future is not what he thought it was going to be by a long shot. So he figures that what really happened to cause this crisis. And he says, wait a second. No, no, no. There's nothing that we can do because this is way too far gone. So that's that's the overall story. The underall story is what we us here. You know, it deals heavily with uh, Judeo-Christian belief systems, ethics, Mahmudist belief systems, ethics, a lot of Taoist belief systems and ethics, um, because all these separate philosophies in the in the in the storyline of the book. All these brilliant children, Tommy says, we're going to send you back to the times you should have lived, even though now you had a chance to all get together and mingle and talk and learn from each other. You need to go back, take uh -huh. care of things to stop this back then. So one of the things in the story is Christ became Christ because he had all this information that he worked around back in the future. Buddha became Buddha. Now, going all the way, Hitler became Hitler. Uh -huh. Lopat became Lopat. Right. Because they, you know, and Tommy says, some of you are going to go back and be hated throughout history for what you will do. But what you will do is necessary for us to take care of this crisis. So it really deals with the philosophy of our existence. Why are we functioning the way we are? What are we doing to ourselves, to the planet, to the universe? I got to get that one. <laughs> That's deep. By all um, means, do, please. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Joseph, in almost every episode, I try to do a little segment called Five Minutes In. And uh, here's my question for you. Provide some insights into your philosophy of finding joy in the simple things and yet living life to the fullest. What advice would you give to others? to cultivate a similar outlook. How do you reconcile simplicity with living life to the fullest? Cause I, I agree with this mentality, but if I were to go bungee jumping, for example, uh, I don't want to trust me, but if I did, uh, I imagine one of my critics might say, well, that doesn't sound very Zen like, and then I would have to explain to them how it is. How do you reconcile the concept of full life versus simple life? I don't actually think there's anything to reconcile because one's life could be amazingly full, and be very simple. The simpleness is what is perceived on the outside. The richness of the internal life, you, you live currently in a Japanese culture. 
And one of the hallmarks of the Japanese culture is historically extreme regimentation. Mm. However, that regimentation was necessary because of the social structure, which was manifested because of the environment they were in. They were an isolated group, essentially. And then because there were so many of them, they had to develop very rich internal lives to balance, if you will, hmm. that very structured external life. Right. So people who read my books, to go back for a second, how do you come up with these ideas? You know, what kind of mind do you have? Well, it's pretty much like everybody else's, but I don't, I don't regiment it in. I go, yeah, wow, that's, oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, and I have, I live very simply. Susan and I have a very simple life. We have a nice home in a suburban neighborhood. Um, we're budding woodlands. So that's where the wild animals come in. For everything we've done in our lives, this is fine for us. This is good for us. You know, I mean, realistically, how much do you really need in life to be happy? I'm, I, I, you, you're getting no argument for me. I was on yeah. a po podcast recently asked about, you know, what's uh, what's my message to the world? And I'm like, well, which one? I got several. But, you know, the, <laughs> it, I answered, I said, but at the moment, what I what I want to say is that if you have uh, a, a refrigerator and a working toilet, and you have air conditioning in the summer and you have heat in the winter and a roof over your head and a bed to sleep on, you are living better than royalty for millennia. Like you're doing better than yeah. kings and queens for thousands of years. What more do you, I am grateful every day for just the yeah. simplistic uh, uh, benefits of living in the 21st century, you know? And Let me offer you uh, a lesson from, from our dog. Um, and we were, you know, dogs are very with, Zen, by the way. Oh, yes, yeah. please. <laughs> we were, you know, as usual, playing with our dog. And um, it suddenly occurred to me, I could almost hear the dog's voice. And it, the, the four big questions Am I safe? Am I dry? Am I fed? Am I warm? Mm. Yes. But those mean nothing unless I am loved. And, and that was the lesson. That really was it. Am I warm? Am I safe? Am I dry? Hmm. Am I, you know. Secure. Yeah. Secure. But am I loved? Yeah. Those four are nothing. Without and, the love. In my opinion, unless you have love. Unless yeah. someone says you are important to me. Hmm. And our, <laughs> our dog owns the house, of course, you know. <laughs> we occasionally were allowed to get on the couch or even in bed, you know. But, you know, as I, as we started the discussion, you know, it comes down time for a walk. Okay, let's go. You know, <laughs> so um, his, his peace, his quiet is a blessing to me. It is a simple thing and mm -hmm. it is a joyful thing. How much time does it take to walk around the block? We, we actually walk much further, but the yeah, simple, yeah. the joy in the simple. Yeah, I agree. Know? That's it. That's the secret, folks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, what are you working on now? How can people find you? Uh, I know that you have you've got a uh, website blog, josephcarabas.com. I'll I'll put that link in the notes. Um, but what what are you working on now? Uh, well, the end of this month, uh, September thirtieth, we're going to have a, another novel published, The Shaman, which is a kind of a metaphysical memoir 
of uh, an individual who is rejected by his parents, adopted by his grandparents, who also happened to be adept at very ancient concepts, very ancient technologies, and decide to teach this lad. So it follows this individual's life from childhood through to his passing, not only with what happens to him with his grandparents, but when they pass, he goes back to live with his parents who are not kind, they're not gracious, they're not good people. And society basically, you know, you're an idiot. What the hell are you talking about? But you, you talk to clouds, what kind of, you know, what kind of drugs are you really going on? So he realizes that society is not going to work. He goes in search of teachers that his grandfather and grandmother knew, mm-hmm. finds them, learns from them, and then begins the practice. He begins doing in real life what mm-hmm. he was taught. And that's the next one coming out. Nice. That's September 30th. Uh, and it, it might come out before the release of this episode. It might be timed around the exact same time. So, uh, yeah. So, well, that's all folks, uh, go check out and, and, uh, well, look for the shaman because whenever you hear this, it might've just come out. Uh, so look for the shaman uh, or go buy that. Think you do 60 ways to be healthy, happy, and hold off harm. If you like sci-fi and or philosophy, go check out and buy the inheritors, do those things first. And if you have a couple of bucks left over, go to zensandwich.com and help out this show. We still have bills to pay. They don't (laughs) stop sending them to me for some reason. Joseph, uh, this interview has been long overdue. We've tried to put this together like three or four times. I'm so glad we finally did. Yes, it's been very good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So thank you for your time and insight today. It's been a delight meeting the most interesting man in the world. (laughs) Yes, you are indeed. (laughs) Thank you so much.